it's like taking a bite of the sun. Like, I don't know. It's like a angry velociraptor, man. It, it's just, it, it gets after you, dude. Welcome to the Beat Around the Bench podcast, a podcast about woodworking, good times, and general jackassery. With your host, Jess of Jess Building, Colton of Cold Crit, and Ross of RNC Woodworking and Designs. You can find us all on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Now for episode 17, Demolition Man. Demolition Man. It was a classic. It was a classic. I love it. I love it. Wesley Snipes and Stallone. I mean, how much more could you want? So, gentlemen. um, How's it going, everybody? Yeah. How is everyone doing? How's your back? My back is fantastic. I was doing, I am back to doing a schedule of my uh, physical therapy stuff every day. And it's like it never even happened. So that's astounding. That's so, um, yeah. And um, yeah. In a little fact, bit PT, baby. Yeah. Uh, I had just gotten lazy on doing it in all honesty. So now that I'm doing it again, feeling right as rain, which is awesome. You ever use like a chirp wheel? I actually have the entire set of chirp wheels, but it, it works great for like the mid back up, but it doesn't mm-hmm. work as well for like the lower back. And the issue that I was having is literally right where um, basically your tailbone comes in. It's like right at that very base. I have a sciatic issue. I have two bulging discs down there. Oh, man. And uh, when they flare up, all of a sudden my leg just goes numb. Cause it's just pushing right on my sciatic nerve. So yeah. Shoot, man. I, I don't have anything that bad, but I know, especially um, when I'm pulling a lot of hours in the garage, man, I got, I got to watch how I'm standing at my bench. Yep. And uh, I got to remember to do the T-Rex arms. Yeah. No, I've no, always yeah. had, I've leaning always over had, it all the time. I've always had lower back problems. Always. I've not, no bulging discs necessarily that I know about, but. Years of doing stucco with my dad uh, and leaning over and picking up buckets and scaffold and stuff like that and, and leaning over plastered walls. It's just And bad. lifting with your back and not your legs. Of course. Yep. Of course mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. Yep. Of course. Yeah. 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 And now, Dude, I, and now I, I, I'm I, stiff. Hmm. All right. Uh, I love my chirpal though. I got the smallest one, which um, I didn't know at the time, but it makes it more intense. Something like that. So and, the, uh, the smallest man, one like is a, awesome for your neck. Like an ab workout. There's a huh. there's a tiny one that. that's awesome for your neck. So um but let's let's speaking of chirping, there's there's some chirping going on in the background, Colton. <laughs> what uh what's there going is. on over there? So we actually have a special guest this week. Uh it's Mr. Bubs. He's um what was it? So I left the shop for like 30 minutes. I think this was two days ago. And then I came inside and there's got not even two days old, like a baby duck in there. And uh, yeah, you can hear him chirping. Um, he's real pretty. Uh, you know, he's, he's black and then he's got like the yellow stripes. And I asked some of my duck friends about it and they think it's a mallard. And I'm really Dude, hoping it's a drake. Daffy duck? Is that <laughs> one of your duck friends? Or Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. Or Scrooge. Oh, yeah, so like, I don't know Louis, if he's our, Louis. <laughs> these are unofficial mascot yet. Of, I think uh, so. Beat around the bench. But, so what's um, his name? Oh, his name is Bubs. So Mr. Bubs, and it stands for, uh, or short for Bubinga. I don't know, which 
I've never actually worked with Bubinga, but um, it was the coolest name that I could think of with wood. So, all right, that's yeah. fun. Well, welcome like to the club, Bubs. We could we considered naming him Dusty for Dusty Farts. <laughs> the yeah. <eBay>. <laughs> Nice. Uh, but no, Bub's kind of stuck. But no, it was crazy. So we, I had no idea how this dang duck got in my shop, right? And um, and we looked all around. We looked in the ceiling. Uh, I even got up in the attic because our attic is connected uh, to the garage and see if there's like a nest or something and nothing. But so what I think happened is I think there's like a little gap where you can kind of push through. Uh, underneath the garage and I'm assuming he got split off from, from his mama and maybe something chasing him and he crawled under the garage. But, um, but yeah, he's ours now. We've been learning about ducks last few days. (laughs) So cool. Yeah. One thing that makes me sad is that, uh, apparently they're a social animal, a social bird. And I don't know, like, so our, our HOA in our neighborhood says no poultry, but ducks aren't poultry, right? They are so, fowl. They are a fowl. Yeah. But um, I don't know. Ask for forgiveness, not permission here. But but yeah, so I was planning on making them all sorts of fun stuff in all my spare time. And uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I already made him like a little house uh, so we can get out of like the heat lamp. If he wants to add some uh, leftover birch plywood. Very nice. But I don't know. I, I keep picturing like some sort of like Ferris wheel thing, but I don't know how actually useful they'll be for him if we use it. But I was going to say that cool, seems though. like a lot of work for really nothing. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he'll probably outgrow that in what, like two weeks? Oh. I guess ducks, so. ducks grow, grow pretty quick. Yeah, super fast. Yeah. How, um, uh, where do you keep him? So right now, just, um, in our living room in, like, we got like a big Rubbermaid and gotcha. we put some, uh, wood bedding down in it and got him a water and, uh, don't you have right a dog? For, yes. So, uh, he's inside a dog kennel inside, uh, well, his Rubbermaid is inside the dog kennel. And how and, uh, has your dog taken to having a duck around? Uh, they are still getting used to him. Like, uh, oh, I'm sure the little one, little Yorkie, would love to eat him, but mostly because he's so jealous. He's normally the baby, right, and gets all of Crystal's attention. But Crystal's been loving on this duck, and not Diesel. And um, yeah, I'm sure he would love to kill this duck. And then Get Texas in my still belly. just <laughs> super curious. Which is the funny thing is, in like two months, he'll be bigger than Diesel. So he'll <laughs> be chasing him around the yard. That's awesome. But yeah, but oh, he, he took to Crystal like uh, Mr. Bubs so quick. Like literally the same night that we got him, like Crystal would put him down on one side of the yard, and then she'd go to the other side, and he would chase after her and like hop up in her hands. And um, yeah, I was like, okay, we're keeping this duck at this point. So, so question not not that you not that I, I don't know. Do you really know if it's a boy or a girl? I don't know. I, I haven't researched how to. Don't you have to sque- you squeeze their butt or something? They're yeah, their, I, I didn't want to play around with this something to do with the cloaca. Like, yeah, we'll just uh, leave the gender reveal for a surprise. Yeah, but but he, he loves uh, when I sit on the couch. He'll like 
get behind my neck and play with my mullet. And um, I know that's so neat. Yeah. So interesting. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. It is awesome. Goofy, unpredictable. I was like, what the heck is, why is a duck hopping around my shop? But hmm. yeah. Well, speaking of your shop, how are things been going? Has productivity come to a standstill since Bubs arrived, or are we still no. plowing through? Last last week we were at seven on the original count. Yeah. Um, since then, I've had to work on new orders, and I am very close on. Oh, so I have five right now that need to be due. You know, talking about analysis paralysis, and like. Uh, it's been so hard. Like I'll start working on one and like, I got to work on the other one at the same time, but I want to be efficient because, you know, last week I talked about trying to focus on just one at a time and that's been harder than I thought because I'm like, Oh, I could put this on the CNC and then go do this. But putting that stuff on the CNC, that still takes time. You know, multitasking still makes everything go slower. And so that's been a struggle this week. With all that, but now I have to ask, like the setup time on the CNC, if you put something on there, let's say it's the first thing you do in the day, are you able to then start working on something else while that's cutting? Or or if you like, if you just poured, you know, one of the boards, could you then start setting up the next one on the CNC? Like what's the, the workflow you have going? Yeah, that's, that's about how it goes a lot of times. Um, which, a lot of the carves, unless it's carving like the actual top, like a brand new set. So yeah. that can take maybe a few hours of cutting. But everything else, like as far as like scene scene, the backs or like scene scene, like, um, oh, like the scoreboards mm-hmm. and the cup holders and the legs and things, those are kind of quicker carves. So I may have like 30 minutes, right? And I know that's a challenge for me going like every 30 minutes, stopping what I'm doing and getting back to this and then going, trying to get back in that same flow and which, uh, yeah. So that's what I was doing the other day. And then about two days ago, I guess, but it did make what I was working on go slower and put me a little bit more behind on the current board. I was trying to rush out, but, but yeah, so trying to figure it out as far as that goes. Okay. Yeah. Bubs has been zero help in the shop as well. He's uh, not earning his keep yet. <laughs> yeah, he was having trouble lifting the plywood and everything. So oh, I would geez. assume he would collect all the shavings and make a bed. I would, I would figure he <laughs> yeah, would walk through your epoxy uh, when it was wet. <laughs> yeah, I put him on the bench. I had him out there a little bit today. And um, oh, he's. There was like little flakes of resin that he was starting to try to eat. I was like, no, 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 you're going back. <laughs> I don't think that would go well for him. <laughs> no. But yeah. Okay. All right. And how about you, Jess? What's going on in your shop? Uh, um, same thing. The guys are – we've been working on uh, the consoles. We switched over to making things out of white oak at this point. Um we had one of the stores in Tarpon Springs, actually, um, that I've been wanting to get at. We finally got a whole set. She said she wanted to do it as a whole set. And we brought it in, and she, to me, has treated us more like, um, you know, somebody that – the way that you would expect to be treated 
by a uh, by a store that's okay. somebody that wants your merchandise you know she took a lot of time to like talk to us about it which she thinks that will sell the best what are her expectations are what will we do if it doesn't sell they want she had me come in and educate all of the sales associates in the store about like what we do what it's made of what are selling points do we offer custom sites like this whole thing yeah. And she put a big thing on Facebook. She got pictures of me and my wife with it. Like she made, like set it all up. And that's actually gotten us two phone calls from uh, other stores that that's want awesome. it in the area. Right. But there's only been one store that, because we do have an agreement with her that we can't sell it to anybody that's within a five mile radius of her. Okay. Is it so, a which five is a, mile? Five miles. Yeah. So, um, that's fine. The 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 one store that I really wanted to sell at anyway. Um, she says she moves a lot of furniture, but she could be a lot of talk. I don't know her from you know a hole in the ground, so we'll see. We had a discussion with her today, but her she wants to sell it cheap, and it's not cheap furniture. Yeah, but two in the hand is worth you know one in the hand is worth two in the bush too. So tomorrow we're meeting with the the boss anyway because he's got a friend that wants a built-in that we're going to go look at. And they I have to build imagine, a- though, that like if you, you should like have a set price that yeah. you're willing – like a floor. But if she's trying to sell it cheap, that's going to degrade your brand. Like if she's undercutting Correct. what your, your price right. margin it, is. It's not used furniture. It's brand new, yeah. you know, heirlooms quality furniture. So – I told her no, that I okay. wasn't going to sell it for that, at least to try. I mean, you haven't even had it in your store yet, and you're telling me what you want to sell it at. And then all the other stores are selling it at a particular price. That everybody kind of needs to have their their ducks in a row, so to speak, <laughs> right, with the, yeah, the price point. You know what I mean? Yeah. We sell it for more online, but I got to ship it. And yes. that that's included in the price, so that it's really not any different. So – We'll see what happens. Do you ship for free or call it free shipping? I ship ship my furniture for free, the floating shelves for free, and um, the the furniture and the shelves, yeah, for free. And so there's something else I feel like. I'm sorry I'm not with it. Quick sidebar. Do you guys remember the Kmart commercial right before Kmart went bankrupt where they were like, now offering free shipping on furniture? And these people were like, I just shipped my drawers. I just yes. shipped <laughs> my bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. That was good. It was very like convenient. So, so, yeah. um, like yeah, the big ass truck too. Yeah. And then, and then the cabinets <laughs> we ship because Shopify lets you set up kind of like a geolocation thing. So mm-hmm. if they're within 50 miles and they spend over 2000 bucks, we'll, sh- we'll drive it to them. That's you know, worth we'll take 2, it for free. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it takes a lot of time out of the shop to load it all up, but we can do yep. that. Uh, and um, that's good. So, uh, so that's that. Um, one thing that we're doing right now is we're using the Rubio Monaco white cotton white. Yeah. You said it was looking really red. nice last week. Well, what I didn't know is how absolutely a bear it is to apply. I don't know if we're doing something wrong. I've watched every video that I could possibly watch on it. I think what it is is the towels that the guys are using to wipe it up, Mm -hmm. you know, 
aren't absorbing. Enough. I don't know, but it, it just doesn't. Are we've you pouring tried, way too much on? No, no. I've, I've watched guys just slather it. And no, they just put a little bit. They rub it in with the white scotch Bright, just like you're supposed to. Because I see uh, a lot of people using squeegees to apply it. Well, you use the squeegees to apply it like a plastic like scraper thing mm-hmm. on larger surfaces, okay. right? Like on the top or whatever. Yeah. But like on the base, it's just little inch and a three quarter by three quarter pieces. So that's you just put that on the Scotch Bright. But it's just they're getting a lot of streaking, and I don't know if they didn't sand it good enough. I don't. I don't know. Are you stirring it? Before you uh, yes, apply it, yes, yes, everything. Like I've, I just don't. It's really fighting them, and it's super expensive. I mean, it's two hundred fifty dollars for a liter. Good so Lord with, the, with the accelerator, right? And the other thing that we figured out is that so you get a pack if you're going to use the accelerator, right? So it takes like seven days to cure instead of twenty one. So it's a three to one ratio. So just do the math real quick in your head. You get 300 milliliters of accelerator and one liter, which is a thousand milliliters of oil. Mm-hmm. There's a hundred milliliters left over if you yes. mix it three to one. Yeah. So I don't know if it's like nobody talks about it. I don't understand it, but technically if it's three to one based on the volume that they sent you, then it's three point three three to one, right? Because and if you mix nine, if you mix thirty, you start with the hardener, say thirty milliliters of hardener, you're going to mix ninety nine milliliters of the oil, and yes. you don't even have to put the accelerator in it. Just so everybody knows. I mean, you can just put the oil on it. It's not going to not get hard. It just takes a while, and so um, that. I, we're going to use the accelerator. I just, it just, so if you mix it a little bit different than exactly three to one, if you mix it 3.33 to one, then it, it you don't have anything left is what Ooh. I'm saying. Cause otherwise you're going to have to buy accelerator to use up the rest of what you had left over. Yeah. So, you'd almost like, you almost have to every fourth container, you'd have enough to not buy another container of right. Rubio and just <laughs> right. buy an accelerator. accelerator. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And the accelerator is expensive. So, it's all expensive. Are you mixing it in like just a bucket? Like, uh, is that how you measure it out? No, you just do little bits at a time because it's so expensive. You use a syringe uh, with a little milliliter graduations on the side, which is great. And then the hardener has got a very small uh, – the accelerator has a very small spout that you kind of oh, like yeah. pull out. And so you need something small to get it in there. What we actually have is a little like NyQuil. They guys call it the NyQuil cup. That's got the milliliter graduation on it, yeah. and they'll you just pull the spout out of the accelerator, and it's got a red lid on it, and then you just pour the thirty milliliters into that, and then the big can they take the syringe and suck, you know, however many milliliters they're making at the time, um, and all. But I mean, it looks great. It looks exactly like I like. Uh, the first time that he did it, though. I didn't give him any supervision and, and I had to go to take some furniture to a store or whatever. And when I saw it the next morning, it was terrible. He'd left streaks on it. He didn't wipe it off. Like he did the one side and then did the other side and didn't make sure he got his rag back underneath where it dripped over. And so I just took some 320 grit and sanded it off a little bit. And it actually looks pretty good. 
but I just don't know how much the oil's left on it. We might have to put some type of other clear oil hmm. to kind of seal the wood back up. But I mean, if you make a mistake, you can just kind of buff it off with a piece of sandpaper. Hmm. But it looks really good on white oak. It looks exactly like because it just gets down in those deep grooves, you know, that deep part of the grain. Yeah. And stays there and p- puts like a like a light, 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 transparent white haze on the rest of it. And cool. that's super coastal. The other thing is, as you guys have seen my furniture, nobody likes the slats. I shouldn't say they don't like the slats. People are not. How do I say this without being uh, rude? They, <laughs> where cool. I live, they are not hip to anything being new under the sun. So mm. if somebody comes up with a new concept or a new design, no matter how much they like it, they're like, well, the slats look like they're outdoorsy and the rest of it. And I said, that's the whole point. It's mid-century mixed with like an, because Florida's indoor outdoor living. You know what I mean? And the whole point is for your, to, to give it like that little balance and, and like those lines and visual texture, as I call it, uh, with the slats and the mid-century together. It just looks really neat together. Yeah. So you could see it sitting in front of a big sliding glass window with, you know, like your – like whatever you're going to display on the coffee table, say, for instance. And that indoor-outdoor kind of seamlessly goes and that piece brings it together. But that's just like people just don't – this isn't California and New York. Like people don't – or Chicago even – People mm-hmm. don't get that um, unless somebody else has already done it. I'm not setting a precedent. That's just the way it works. I think so, Miami is the only part of your state that would do that. Could be. Could be. Right. Mm-mm. So, um, you know, we get everything here about into Tampa Bay area about five to eight years. It becomes trendy here after, say, California. Right. Say like L.A. Like yeah. whatever trends over there. So we're just now getting the navies and the brass and that modern mid-century coming back and so on and so forth. So there are a few select shops that are doing well with it because somebody's got an eye on it and word of mouth has got out. For instance, that store that's about 30 minutes from here, she sells mid-century stuff like crazy, modern mid-century. And she's like, this is new modern mid-century. She really wants my stuff, which is feels good. But um, she wants a high consignment rate. So she wants to lower the price and she wants to charge a lot for consignment. So at this point, you know, maybe we need to just get the word out and sell some stuff because we need to keep the guys busy building something and we need some sort of money coming in. Um, I don't know. And then to top all that off. uh, So we launched the website. Yeah. And then I talked to you guys about how you just click like Google, you click, there's like at the in it's basically almost like an app in Shopify that's built in YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and it integrates it and puts a shop on, on your social media accounts. And Google is a pain in my, you know, what? So once it's all loaded and it's like it comes in and it shows you errors for your product and why it won't show on Google, right? Okay. And seems helpful. Ba- basically, what Google has is meta fields, which, for instance, everything on your site on Shopify has to have a a completely um, one of a kind barcode. 
Correct. attached to it. And because Pro, you can search like, things like on SKU? Google. No, like a barcode. And you can have your SKU, but your barcode is so that when people use Google to scan their little whatever barcode they find, it'll pull up a product. You can take you can there's a part of Google if you look on your phone and you can scan a barcode like anywhere and it'll show you that product you can buy it online from whatever stores are selling it. Google Lens. You can also Google Lens. You can yeah. also put it onto any text and have it translate into whatever text you want immediately. Oh, there you go. So if you're so, traveling abroad, it can translate for you. So very interesting that um we figured that out pretty quick. That's just an app, and it created barcodes for everything. But they have all these other meta fields that Shopify doesn't automatically put in about sizes and like measurements and just arbitrary things that have nothing to do with what I'm selling. And um, we've tried filling it out, and it looks like it accepts it, and then it kicks it back again later. Like 30 minutes later, you'll see it come back into your list of problem things. Hmm. So we can't figure it out. I, I see that there's some – you have to have like manufacturer part IDs on everything, which is not a barcode and it's not a SKU. It's something else. And It's um, almost like your individual item number that you've created as the, the manufacturer. Yeah, something. Right. And there's, there's other things in there that I don't even know what they are. So um, it looks like there is some apps – on Shopify that will help you take care of this. The one of them's up to 50,000 products and it's only uh, $5 a month or, or, or $50 a year. I mean, that's so, worth it. Well, just yeah. try it, right? I can always uninstall the app. Yeah. So, um, that's my next step. It seemed like we were going to be able to fix them by hand. And Ashley was on with Shopify, um, support, which they're very great. Even their chat, they're very, very good. And very nice, and they really spend a lot of time to help you. Um, and but what he said didn't work, so we've got a we've got a lot of there's a, it's just pretty complicated. The variance and and all that other stuff also creates another thing. So for instance, like we talked about before, you've got a cabinet, and then the cabinet has different colors, so that's a variant of each cabinet. Correct, and that doesn't have a it you have to create a variant made of field set anyway if you were in there looking at it you would be just like me just like staring at the screen like i don't understand what this like everything on the screen i'm like googling it what the heck is this what the heck is this and and shopify doesn't even really have i think a lot of it's new yeah and because they just did an update so uh we'll figure it out i mean everybody else does it right so we'll figure it out eventually and somebody's got to have a video on out there but i have been trying to draw up the new um piece of furniture that the guys are going to make because they're running finished on on the consoles right now and they're they're about ready to start cutting wood the next day two days for the coffee tables which we also just decided to do larger than i did the last one okay um so because the the other one i did it kind of small thinking it was going to be more coastal and for like people in condos and um turns out people they, have they have more coffee they need more table yeah, i guess <laughs> or bigger, bigger couches whatever yeah so we're, we're making them a little bit bigger which how is high how high do you make them because i know there's a trend height. i know there's a trend to have like super low coffee tables no, and it they, just seems they, like something i'm going to walk into 
every day. Well, you know what? I'm not a. I'm not. I don't have a problem with little coffee tables, but these have a shelf on the bottom, so it would make it put completely useless if I made. It. So I make them 18. I make them seat height. Okay. So that way it's pretty even with a an average seat height. Um, and then, um, like I said, we're not doing the slats anymore. We're doing a shelf. So I made the shelf kind of like the top with that chamfered edge. Yeah. And I set the shelf in there and I'm like, I don't like this. Like this just looks so boring. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? Flip it over. So we did the chamfer up because you got the chamfer, yeah, you know, so like the- on the underside of the table. So it's like the chamfers oh. are facing each other. It looks sharp. I love you in and out. I love that. Yeah. And to be honest with you, the shelf is less it's less work for us. It's stronger for the piece. It's less work for us. And because you've got all these individual slats, let's say on a console, that's 20 slats that all have rounded corners that all have to be sanded, that all have to be finished on all four sides. So that all also have to be attached individually. They all have to be attached individually. All the holes have to be drilled for that, which they messed up the other day. So, uh, <laughs> it, it is, it is easier cause I'm just going to use my Z clips like that, yeah. that we use for the top because it's a pretty w- big piece of wood. And, uh, that's what she said and, <laughs> and keep it from, you know, cracking or something in the future if it ever wants to expand or contract. So, um, I was drawing that up. I, what I did was too, it's nice cause I've already written the instructions once and a lot of the parts look visually the same they're different dimensions so the scale's not the same in the drawing but i took them and scanned them in and put them in canva and then just erased what i drew for like the lengths and widths and all that other stuff and then went in and typed in you know over it and it looks easier to read and it's easier for me to make notes about hey pay attention to this and this particular so it's been great and i'm just saving them all as separate things so each time that we make one of these, if I want to change the dimensions, let's say of this coffee table again, yep. um, I just have a few things that I have to change and, and then I can print up another book workbook for the guys and they'll have all their measurements and dimensions and stuff. So I do have a little system of that. That's nice. But Very nice. Look at um, a question for you. Um, so with uh, you have more people in the shop and everything now and starting to, uh, you know, get on with this furniture thing. Uh, have you looked at duplicating some of your tools uh, or like you looking to add more stuff or have you tried to reorganize the shop at all? Or There's only two, there's only two guys that are actually using the tools. Uh, it has been an issue often on with the dado and the sliding saw because I, Ripping something traditionally on that sliding saw is a pain in the butt because really? it, unless it unless it's short, the fence gets in the way oh. on the left hand side, and then if the fence if the fence gets in the way, you can move it. It has these little handles, but it doesn't. There's slop in the holes to adjust it, micro adjust it, so it doesn't go right back to where it was. And right now, it's perfect, so I don't want to take it off. So they'll have the whole dado stack set up on the table saw and we'll need to rip something. Um, so unless it's a short or wider board, it just feels kind of spooky cutting it on that big giant saw. Cause I mean, it has a fence and everything you can use it like a regular table saw. It's designed for that. But, um, 
it would be nice to have two like regular cabinet saws, one that's just like always just for ripping and then one that's always just for dados. That would be pretty sweet. Well, well, we kind of like my uh, yes. that, that little that little craftsman one. Yeah, uh, it's, for, it's for so my data. <laughs> it's so data. useful. But I just um, I still love the slider because like the for instance the leg assemblies after we put them together, your half laps never line up perfect. No. Um, and they get glue all in them and stuff, and you can't sand that out real easy without digging a hole. So we just trim. I make the whole piece an eighth you know, wider and taller and each board a 16th wider. So my final is I want it to be an inch and three quarters. So I make everything an inch and 13 sixteenths. And that way, when it's all been trimmed a 16th off of all four edges, it's the size that I want when it's all done, um, which doesn't always work out exactly right for whatever reason. I haven't quite figured that part out yet, but, um, but it makes all of your half laps perfect on the outside because you flush, you just cut them off. You know what I mean? Now the wood is exactly perfect all the way around. Um, and then, uh, it just, it's just that table saw. I, I, I see people use it like a regular table saw. It's just not, I don't know. Like if you're trying to rip a 16th off a board, that's an inch and three quarters wide. It's and like let's say it's fifty inches long. It just feels a little spooky doing it. I'll do it, but the I don't I don't know about the other guys because that saw blade is. Oh, and that's the other thing. We didn't find this out until later because things were coming up short. I guess when I set up the sliding saw, it has built-in tape measures, like in the in the thing with the stops and on the right side, obviously with the fence, like a normal table saw. Okay. And I set it up and calibrated it with this saw blade that was for um plywood specifically was it super for thin one you had bought thinner no, curve whatever no yeah. this one's just i mean it is a little bit thinner you know it has the teeth that stagger and go back and forth but um i mean any of the saw blades on that are pretty heavy heavy duty because they're 14 inches so i guess the plate has to be thicker but they don't um it doesn't it doesn't tear out when you cross cut plywood on the veneer, right? That's the whole okay. purpose of it. Because and in particular, the sliding saw doesn't have a zero clearance insert. It never can. It's not it doesn't have the ability to have an insert. So there's a little bit of a space there all the time. So that way when you put it on a 45, it has room to like bevel over. Yeah. And it, the way that they do sliding saws, they don't have a zero clearance insert. So it's important to have that undercutting blade because it's got that one blade that goes the other direction, that little tiny one that's like three or four inches in oh. the front. I don't know if you've seen it. It's, but it it's undercuts about three the inches, but it's thick. Correct. Yeah. And it undercuts as you go in. It actually is going the same direction you're pushing. And then the other blade comes to the other. That way you don't get any tear out. Hmm. So I had one for ripping heavy pieces of wood. I bought it originally thinking that we were going to use it to like square up and rip um, like really rough lumber or in particular like use it to do slabs and straighten yeah. up the edges of slabs. You just throw a slab in there and slice it off, you know? Yeah. And it's made for it's made for like hardwoods. Um, it's it adds a sixteenth. So if you set the saw, say for instance, the stop or the fence to 15 inches. 
when you cut it, it's 14. Well, it's best. I mean, I haven't measured it like exactly, exactly down to the, you know, hundredth of an inch. But if you set it to 15, you're coming out with 14 and 15 sixteenths hmm. because the curve on it is huge. And I didn't know that uh, until the other day. I don't know. I just kind of finally figured it out. So you have to kind of allow that. So I had to put all that in the instructions for the guys so that they would make sure that they remembered when they were trying to cut things to length and so on and so forth. But, um, interessante. we're just trying to get people to the website right now and trying to get it all working. And I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between about 10 different places. Um, and good news. I'm going to be coming to your shop on Thursday afternoon. So I'm going to throw a wrench into all the gears. Oh, that's great. (laughs) You'll be super uh, excited to have me there. I know. So we planed something the other day and we went to run it. It was like a top and we went to run it through the belt sander. And I don't know if the planer's really off on what it, like if it says, like, let's say it says 0.76 inches. I don't know if it's really off or it's because the white oak is really hard or what, but we went to go like, I, let's say we had it at 0.78. Let's just say we planed it to 0.78 with the plan to lose another couple hundredths of an inch in the wide belt. We set the wide belt to like say 0.77 and that sucker went in there and it went, and the belt went and the belts were squealing and it was like, nothing was moving except the motor. Right. And so I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. So, so we hit the, hit the urgency stop. Interestingly with that machine, it has an air brake and it literally air brakes the whole machine to a halt in about two seconds. Air brakes like, uh, a, like a bus or a like semi? A bus, like a bus. Huh. Uh, you can actually see the airlines that go into the motor. So it must have some little things that engage around it or something. Huh. Yeah. The rest of the machines don't do that. They just turn off, you know, and kind of slow down. But that one stops. Do you have um, to change the brake pads every 30,000 miles? I, d- I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Barrel ass brake yeah. pads on your yeah. on your drum sander? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But I try never to use it, to be honest with you. That's the first time I've actually used it for a real emergency. But um, hmm. I went back and measured it with a caliper, and it was probably – Two hundredths heavier than I thought, which if you run something through that planer, because um, since you you kind of like punch a button and it goes up, if you run something through that's really stout, you'll actually see the planer. So like say I set it to 0.75, you'll see as it goes through, it'll like jump to like 0.76 uh, because it's pushing the, the, the base down so hard that it actually moves it a little bit. Hmm. So um, – we found that you have to measure each thing with a veneer caliper or digital caliper uh, before you run it through the drum sander and only try to take off five thousandths of an inch at a time. But it's nice, though, because when you hit the arrow button on it, it goes exactly five thousandths at a time. And an interesting, another thing interesting, too, everybody should know this. I don't know if everybody does know this. This is my nugget, my early nugget. When you adjust something, whether it's a router table or a table saw or a shaper or a drum sander or anything, even a joiner, really, and it's using threads or a screw thread to raise and lower or gears to raise and lower uh, what it is that you're uh, adjusting it to, 
never finish on a downturn. You always want to finish on an upturn because you need those gears to be sitting on the top of the threads. Yeah. Not floating because you'll drop a little bit after you start. That makes so, a lot of sense. Like, like with the drum sander, because um, like I, I can feel there's a little bit of play right, right. before it engages. And uh, I always wondered, which I, I, if it had moved, I never noticed it. But I was always curious. But that, that makes sense. Finish on, finish on going up. Finish, finish on, the, on the going yeah. up. Yeah, because like it, you'll see the machines do it themselves. Like if I point it, type in 0.75, it drops down to like 0.9 and then slowly goes up to 0.75. If it misses, it goes back down again and keeps doing it until it lands on the on it. And it even says that in the manuals. Just like on the ones you adjust by hand, hmm. it you always finish on the upturn, so that way it's sitting on the top of the threads and it doesn't move down a little bit after you start. Hmm. Uh, router tables, especially, router Man, tables that especially, is a good nugget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, so screw it back it's down also and go funny. And screw it back up again. It's funny hearing about your, uh, you know, your super industrial uh, belt sander. Like it ver- compared to my drum sander, like you have like computers on it man and like moving it by five thousand, using the calipers before you put it on i'm i'm going by what it sounds like and how fast it moves <laughs> and if i can hear it bogged down and yeah. um, like sometimes it's like an oh, shit moment. you gotta raise it up real quick a little bit but i used yeah. to have ross's planer um i used to have ross's planer or the grizzly version of it the grizzly, and yeah. yeah you gotta like get down on one knee and look at the little line and make sure that it's like you know, where you're at on it and you can never get it exactly precisely back where you had it the last time. Although I do think that they make a digital scale that you can attach to it. They do. Uh, uh, I tried setting oh, it up on nice. ours and it, I could never get it to work, but yeah, um, I, in all honesty, I, I, I haven't had to get that precise with it. Right. So right. I, I neither did I. So, so I tend to leave stuff a little bit proud and then I come back with yep. a hand plane or a scraper and, yeah. And yep. make sure yep. everything yep. is flush from there. So I leave a little bit of extra meat on there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh, speaking of hand planes, I haven't received it yet, but I did purchase my first block plane. Really? What oh, did finally, you go? Yeah. Right. After you talked about it, yeah, I went with um, Stanley. It was okay. like 40 bucks. Classic. Um, yeah, it, yeah, there was, there was a, I got it from Home Depot. Like I was yep. buying some other stuff and uh, I was going to have it shipped and I was like, oh, I really want that block plane. So impulse buy, but, but yeah, I, I'm excited to get it. It's a, it's a low angle. I you believe. are going to be surprised how much you use it. You'll use it all the time, yeah. especially well, a little block plane. Cause I, I love my uh, bench plane. I think it's what I call it. Yeah. I, I, so before I'd call it a smoothing plane, but I think the one I'm actually using now is a uh, bench plane. Okay. And so it's a little bit longer, you know, it has the handle on the front and back. Yeah. Yeah. But so, I'm really excited. Um, yeah, it says it's best for like end grain stuff, I guess, with the low angle. Yeah. And um, I put, put yeah, the chamfer on some edges and just clean it up some yeah. stuff. You're going to use it constantly. So the Wood Whisperer has a little video about a $40 hand plane versus like, you know, a $300 hand plane. And he takes a Stanley, like from Amazon plane, hand plane, block plane, and he tunes it up. And so he shows you how to flatten the sole of it and how to sharpen the blade just perfect. 
and he uses it and he goes, you know, it might not keep its edge, but gosh, it was only 40 bucks. Like it's, I mean, it did take me a little elbow grease to get it like super nice, but you know, I almost, does job. I almost wonder if, right. If you were going to use a plane like all day, that might be a different story. You need a different grain structure for the, the blade part, but is there anybody online that shows you how to change the metallurgy of the blade of like a plane or a chisel, like where you would heat it and quench it and then resharpen it? Any Anybody do that? So or are they all case hardened already? They are all case hardened already, unless you get something that is super old, like a vintage plane from the early 1900s, late 1800s. Um, what does make the bigger difference is the 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 frog, uh, which is for those who don't know what that is, it's the part that holds up. Yeah, it's the part that holds up the blade um, inside the hand plane and keeps it at the correct angle uh, and allows you to adjust the angle of the cut and the depth of the cut and all kinds of right. stuff. Right. It's really that's the part that makes the biggest difference. Um, and the, the strength of the blade to be able to hold the edge. But I've gotten planes anywhere from Harbor Freight all the way through uh, like a Veritas plane. And the biggest thing that I notice is the Harbor Freight one, it feels cheap because it's just stamped out metal. It's not even yeah. fast. It, yeah, yeah. it falls apart pretty quick. And when I'm going, you know, either with the grain or against the grain, I can't get it to stay in tune the way I need it to. The mm-hmm. the Veritas, I mean, that thing takes a beating and just keeps going. But the blade is literally six times thicker than any of the other planes that I have. But I have a bunch of hand planes that are, you know, 100 years old or close to it. And they hold up almost as well as the Veritas. So mm-hmm. it, it's a lot of just you knowing how to set them up correctly. And once you get to that, hey, this isn't $5 for a hand plane, it's 40 or 25 or $40 for you know a block plane, as you said, that's where you're getting enough quality where you can put in the elbow grease to Jess's point and make it just as good as a $300 bench plane. So Yeah, the adjustments yeah. Are, are, are a lot tighter and hold truer longer uh, on the more expensive on anything really yes on any yep. type of hand tool if you can ever if anybody's ever like out flea market and stuff and you can find some of the original old stanley sweetheart stuff which i think they're redoing they're remaking them now mm-hmm. um i don't know if but they've got the little sweetheart uh stamp on them and they're kind of made the same way that they used to uh which looks very interesting to me i don't i don't haven't heard anybody that has any of them but um the old sweetheart ones, I guess they were had to do something with Mr. Stanley himself and something to do with something to do with him. So they were kind of like tools that he uh, had made just for like his liking. And huh. so in so, day. Yeah, you, they're great. To, and a lot of people take and refurbish them and stuff. It's neat. I love yeah. stuff like that. I, yeah. I definitely do that at any time I see like an antique or a flea market antique dealer or something like that. I always look around because a lot of them are like, oh, check out this vintage hand tool. This would be great to sit on your wall and the decor would be awesome. And they sell it for like $15 and it just because it's rusty and you can do like an hour or two worth of elbow grease and you have a $300 caliber tool. So, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was a, 
Ross, one of your nuggets for me early on, maybe first five episodes somewhere mm-hmm. in there, was uh, which I still haven't done, but uh, take Crystal on a date to an antique store, try yep. to find some planes. Yep. But, but yeah, I, as far as my uh, that little Stanley bench plane, I mean, I've been using it almost a year, I guess, several times a week. Which Have you granted, sharpened it? No, I haven't. And uh, I've been waiting for me to need to. Right, because I'm sure it's going to be a booger or whatever, or just a time boof, right? Yeah. But I haven't needed to. Granted, I am cutting, like, uh, or I'm not cutting, planing pine. Like, this is for the frames, right? Okay. And so, I mean, it's it's not like it's... Other than know, the knots, it's not going to put a, a, a huge fight up. Yeah, that is... Actually, that is true. I, I do ram it through some knots. But... um I don't know. Like I, I never really did a bunch of research on it. I just played with it enough, you know, and I figured out the little spinny thingy on top changes the angle and the spinny <laughs> thing on the back changes how deep it goes. And I spin the spinny thing on the back until it cuts good. And you, um, you that know is what precise. Blows, my, blows my mind. You you guys watch those guys that they make that they make them themselves. They're yep. these big planes. They're like maybe eight inches wide or whatever, these Japanese ones. Yeah. And then they have these competitions to who can make the thinnest yes. shavings, consistent, like like a 20-foot-long shaving, and you can yeah. see through. Oh, that's so neat. And they make the whole thing themselves, even the steel, and yep. they have it, you know, forge the steel and all that stuff. It's so neat. Yeah, it's all about how you set up the plane. The Japanese hand planes are so, so much less finicky. Well, they're yes. much more consistent, but like you have to baby those things to get them to just to that right spot. But they they test it with a micrometer, to your point, Jess, and they come in at those competitions and they literally get them to like three hundredths of an inch thick. I know, I know, it's so amazing. What, what kind of wood would they do that with? So I think you, it's some sort of maple. Yeah, it's it? either maple. I was going to guess or, maple, but um, what's the other one they use? It's uh, like a Japanese fir. Not not oh, a Douglas yeah. fir, but something similar to that. Something softer, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. but fir. yeah, they literally take off like paper thin, or well, thinner than paper shavings, like tissue paper. Yeah. So it's tissue yeah. paper. It's well, so I, neat. I, I know I've seen somewhere you, you can see through it. Yep, basically yep. you can see shadows behind it. Yep. Yeah, I find that very interesting. So Man. I actually uh, on the hand plane talk, I had to use mine uh, today. I was doing the install of the. Um, the tack room build that I did for the, the horse stable recently. And I had everything built at my shop, totally ready to go just to do the install. I wanted to do as much work in my shop beforehand. So I didn't get caught doing stuff in like on site. And so I get there and literally the, the guy who runs the entire place was like, yeah, here's the room. Go ahead. So I go in there and I set up what I think is the right height on everything and I install it all. I get it all done with the exception of two saddle racks in an hour and a half. The entire room is done. And it looked perfect. But there were these two saddle racks that I couldn't get up because they were in a corner. And when they met up with the saddle rack from the adjoining corner, they were hitting. And so they wouldn't connect or they were connecting and you didn't want them to connect really. So I called the guy in. I'm like, hey, this doesn't seem right. The... The measurements that I got said it, the saddle racks were supposed to be 34 inches deep, but this seems like that's not going to work. He's like, no, no, it's supposed to be 24. And I'm like, good what? Lord. 
So I literally had to hand saw because all I had with me was uh, a Ryobi saw, um, just a Japanese hand saw. And because um, I hadn't planned on having to cut a whole bunch of stuff. So I had to hand cut uh, all these saddle racks 10 inches off of every one of them and then use my block plane to rechamper all the edges and sand everything down, make it all smooth. Uh, and then after I finished all that, he's like, oh, by the way, um, all of these were actually going to need to be up a lot higher because we have uh. these <laughs> these uh, tack trunks that literally go underneath um, underneath the saddle racks. But we need to be able to open them. So we need like four feet of clearance from the ground until the first saddle rack. And I was like, all right. So then I have to take everything down reset the the laser level line put up the bottom row start to attach the top row and unfortunately the top row by the time i got up that high because it was like eight feet high the wall wasn't square um in the corners so it took an awful lot of like back beveling with the uh block plane and um utilizing the tools that i had with me having not prepared to do this kind of surgery um, but I got it all installed. It's all done. And they've actually asked me to do a room next door to make a desk and some shelves and cabinets and a few other things. So I got another job out of it, which is great. And, um, well, in yeah. a bicep workout, apparently too, dude, you should my, just my bring arm. a saw, always bring a saw with you. Always bring a saw, no matter how much you don't think you're going to use it. I mean, I did bring a saw. It was just a hand saw. No, That's all. bring a skill saw, a battery part skill saw. Yeah. So a I, Japanese um, saw. I like, literally like used a Japanese saw and I hand cut 20 saddle racks today. Four by four okay. posts 20. that I had on an angle. <laughs> yeah. Man, Ross, you're your customer visits the last few weeks have been like a reality TV show. <laughs> it's just like, oh, like, oh man, uh, what, what else can go wrong? Ridiculous. You know, I know it's literally been that every single time, and everything was done perfectly. It was ready to go, and just it went from an hour and a half to a six-hour install, like right, just because. <laughs> so, All right, so I gotta ask, what what kind of horse people are these? This I is. Mean, a show jumping horse people. Well, okay. Okay. So gotcha. But what I mean by that, I mean like the, uh, Oh, lose my train of thought here. Like their mentality or yes. Yes. Like they know everything a lot better than you. And you well, can't luckily tell them anything. The, the horse, or are they, the, like kind of the rancher down to earth horse people. Um, in between no these are the we're extremely wealthy and we just want you to go do the job we're gonna pay you and i don't want to oh. think about this that's the best so, yeah yeah so on that regard it was great um Excellent. and as i pulled up to this facility I, it literally looked like first impressions i was like this is like the redneck riviera this is just like a white trash trailer park gravel driveway and then you you see this like sheet metal barn and you're like oh, i don't really know what's happening here it doesn't really look that impressive from the outside then you get in and it literally looks like the dutton's ranch from yellowstone right. like massive chairs and like perfectly outfitted like a yellowstone lodge and it was insane inside and they wanted this tack room to match so that's so cool was there a uh, some cowhide covered things there, there were 
on the floor and on the 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 chairs. Longhorn on the wall somewhere. I guess that's probably in the cigar room. Uh, it, yes, it was in the cigar room, not in the stable side. But um, yeah. <laughs> even like the stalls that were built out for the horses, you could tell like they they dropped a pretty penny on these things. It wasn't like some rickety old wood. Like they went all out and built really nice stalls. So there's all definitely right. some money here. So man, so that that's uh, some goals for me. Except inside of that that sheet metal barn, I want like all of my woodworking equipment times two, and then like a CNC plasma, some welding stuff, mm-hmm. and just whatever comes to mind, make it. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that, that's the dream. Same yeah. subject, but my screw up was not on anything for customers for myself. Okay. So the I told you we're moving into that place. So last Saturday, yeah. we went to um, the house that we're moving into, and uh, she's basically just given us carte blanche to do whatever we want. You know, it's a friend of ours, and it needed a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And the cabinets were arranged improperly, the wall cabinets, because they moved the sink and the oven. They switched them. And so the microwave hood was over the sink. All right. And well, so you, I mean, you obviously have tons of fumes coming off the sink. You need to suck those up. <laughs> I, I guess. Right. So I was like, well, I'm going to take them all down and, and move them. All right. And then they had a pantry that she had gotten out of her house because she redid her cabinets and they matched. Okay. So I was going to put that on the other side of the refrigerator because it's a smaller kitchen. So, okay, no problem. So we took all the cabinets down, forgot my whole saws, and we had to drill holes for the microwave cord. All right. Okay. So that was number first screw up of the of the day. So I said Dave was looking through the tool because he came and helped, and he fingers said, uh, "Oh look, there's a Forster bit, and it was a, like an inch and three eighths, you know, thirty five millimeter Forster bit, yeah. just big enough to get the plug through. Perfect. Didn't have a vacuum, so we borrowed their vacuum, and I made a big mess, and we got all that through. I said, okay, all right. So now it's time to put the pantry in. I forgot my oscillating cutter to cut the baseboard. <laughs> so that I could slide the pantry to the wall. So now I'm really getting upset. And there's – because they rearranged it, the outlet for the refrigerator is actually just like in the wall by the front door. And I got the pantry all the way over so it was touching the plate and the refrigerator, the width. I measured from the edge of the counter to the edge of the face frame of the pantry and it fit in there actually quite easily. It had like an inch, inch okay. or so of space. So I'm like, it was a smaller refrigerator. So do you ever going to change the size of this refrigerator? She said, no, I'll always buy the small ones. I said, okay, great. So I cut the baseboard, we pull it off. And of course it was nailed up. You know, the guys that nail baseboards up and they just shoot nails on the wall into the drywall and it's not going to anything. Correct. Mm-hmm. So that was easy to pull off. So I just pulled that right off. We found some old rusty nails in the garage and I hand drove finished nails and counter. I did have a countersink. Uh, and re-put the baseboard back up after I marked it and cut it. And I cut it with a skill saw, okay. my battery-powered skill saw. And I actually did pretty good, actually. And uh, Is it so the Ryobi? Uh, yeah. The Ryobi, they gave me all the problems because the, the yeah. thing that adjusts the height got messed up. Man, so, I, I'm not a big fan of my Ryobi skill saw battery-powered. But we'll talk about that this later. Is a, this is a brushless one. I, I like it a lot. It's it's pretty okay. powerful if you got the right blade in it. So – Good. So get the pantry. Studs were exactly on either left and right hand corner. I mean, could not have been more perfect. 
screw it in, drill holes through it to get the cord to go through. Just drill a nice little small hole in the side of the cabinet, plug it in. I'm super happy. Let's go to slide the refrigerator back. It fits between the counter. It fits between the face frame. But what I didn't pay any freaking attention to because I'm an idiot is the wall cabinets were now moved over about two, three inches where they were because now we base center. We started with the microwave, the 30-inch microwave cabinet and microwave above the oven. And so now that little bit of – they basically hung over past the edge of the countertop about two and a half inches. And so it was – the refrigerator was hitting the upper cabinet, which I did not measure. Mm. And so i like, that's it. I'm done. This, That's it. I got, I'm not cutting this baseboard again. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I said, well, come back when I've got tools next time. So I got to take that back off. Cut the baseboard again, cut a big notch now out of the side of the cabinet because it's going to land right where the outlet is on the sidewall of the the uh, the pantry. You know what I mean? It's like right on the, on the sidewall of it. It's in the middle of the plate. I suppose I can move it over even farther so it's inside the cabinet, but I've already drilled a hole in the side of it, so we'll just let it be. And I'll fix that next weekend. And uh, we're going to be painting adventure. one of the rooms. Oh, yeah. I just, I could have screamed. That's why I don't like doing jobs on site. Like I needed a jigsaw. I needed a buzzy. I needed a, I needed a shop vac. I needed this. I needed hole saws. And I, that's why I had my trailer because I wanted it to be. Something uh, that you had every, every tool you needed. Everything there all the time from tile to paint to sheetrock mud to carpentry tools to chisels to everything I could possibly ever need. So sockets, you know, that Allen wrenches, like everything. You always just don't have what you need when you're somewhere, and it adds hours to whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, so, like only a whole different a Yes. <laughs> I would have just oh, gone and man. bought a saw. They didn't have a saw? They don't have any tools, huh? Yeah, no tools there. Not Nothing that I was going to trust. So, uh, man, but I, so think- I, I don't – go ahead, okay. Colton. So I don't have a lot of jobs where I uh, – go out like where I'm not working on something in my shop. Right. Yeah. Most everything is shipped out from the shop. Yep. But, uh, there, what, there was a handful of months ago last year. Um, shoot. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was end of last year. I, uh, had a local customer for some reason, his LEDs went out on his board on his cornel board. Right. And, um, I had to go like, I, I went and fixed it at his place. And, uh, what was it? Like, I don't know. I, I spent like 30, 40 minutes, like packing everything. And I overpacked so much. And, um, like I was so worried, like, Oh, well, what, what if this breaks? What if that? And yeah, it's a whole different ball game trying to do it mobile. And did you have everything you needed? Yeah. Did yeah. you end up was- using every tool? <laughs> no <laughs> no see that's the game no. you play it's like yeah. do i pack this and you then, then you get there and you're like i didn't need any of this stuff then you're mad at yourself for that or you go and you didn't have it and you're mad at yourself because you didn't have it like it just never ends yeah. i will say i did use every single tool that i brought with me today <laughs> every single one not not joking on that every um, part of the buffalo yes um had i actually had a circular saw with me or even just a slightly bigger handsaw, it would have gone much faster. But it is what it is. I got it done. So, so 
Question, I, would you have used a sawzall if you had it? Then like maybe like cut it proud and then tried to plane it down somehow. Uh yeah. I mean, in all honesty, if I had a sawzall to do it, I would have just cut everything off so much faster. Because I could have kept it relatively square, but like I was trying to make make sure that everything lined up perfectly. And I came back with the sander and the block plane and like it just added extra time to it, but I got it all done. So Yeah. Well, honestly, that's probably the best cut you could possibly get is using that Japanese saw. I mean, one would hope like, like on, I spent enough time yeah. to make sure that it was done right. <laughs> so Yeah. Jeez. Well, let's uh let's kind of tie in here, obviously, the different types of wood. What's the what's the wood of the week here, Jess? What are we working wow. with? The wow. Wow. So I thought I would go out on a limb. Ah, that happens in a tree. <laughs> and do uh, a wood that probably most of us have never worked with other than flooring. Okay. But it is probably, and I and I can't find this statistic anywhere, it's probably the most used wood in the world from the most rich and elite to especially the most poor uh, countries out there and, I'm you know, folks to think that work with things. Be. The wood, and I, I guess it's it's a wood, it's a monocote. It is bamboo. Ah. And bamboo, <clears throat> bamboo is, you know, if you look at the Janka hardness of a bamboo, I mean, it's like more than oak. Like, it's very hard. So, and I what? Can, bamboo is hard? It so, is. linearly, yes, it is very hard. Right. However... It does also mar very quickly. Yes, and it, it's basically like – I'll tell you a story about bamboo. So when I used to do stucco and plastering, we were doing a big commercial job, and we were setting up scaffold. And, and it has to be for OSHA, especially on a big commercial job. So everything's got to be tied and flagged mm-hmm. and backer rail. It's like this whole process. It's days yeah. just, to, just doing that, and you're tied with a harness while you're setting it up. It's like a pain in the butt. So um, I was talking to the superintendent and he said, yeah, he said, we, we do work all over the world. And we did our first job in like, I don't know, it was like Japan or China or something like that. And it was a big building. I, he didn't really say hi, but it was like, you know, four or five stories high commercial. And he said, I'm going to show because they over there use bamboo. They, they literally use bamboo to make the scaffold, and they use reeds to tie off the bamboo. Right, they right. don't even use like bolts. They hand like tie each knot. Big expensive on, companies do it that way on bamboo and, scaffolding. And he said, "He said I'm going to show them." So he shipped scaffold from America over there. Right, all the scaffolding, and they set it all up. Well, in this particular area, it was very windy. Right. And they get these like almost hurricane like gusts that would come through. Same thing that kind of happened to my dad one time in Colorado in the mountains. And there was like two parts of the job set up and they had some of their scaffold set up out of the bamboo and he had his all set up. And they they they're like, oh, this is so great. That wind came through and ripped his scaffold to pieces, picked it up and basically dropped it on the ground, ripped it out of the bolt because they have to bolt it after so many height to the wall. The bamboo didn't move because it gave and bend and bended and oh, didn't, no. you know, wasn't so rigid. So um, 
bamboo is just an amazing thing. So bamboo doesn't have sapwood and heartwood, right? It's just bamboo. Yep. And um, it doesn't uh, – it, it grows the world's record, and they actually measured this. Well, first of all, bamboo doesn't sprout. Some some species do not sprout for five years. For yep. five years, it sits in the ground. It has to be watered and fertilized, and it doesn't, and it and it has to be watered every day, and it doesn't grow at all. But as soon as it breaks the ground, it will grow up to ninety feet tall in five weeks. So they have it on record of a piece of bamboo growing two point nine one feet in a single day. What? 2.91 feet in a single day. That's an inch and a half an hour. Seems you can watch invasive. it grow. You, it is invasive. And I have another story about bamboo. So some friends of ours lived and they owned, they lived on the water and they had an empty lot next door to them and they bought it so that like nobody would ever because there was a boat ramp on the other side of that. So they they bought that lot to leave it wooded. And he thought maybe one day he would develop it. Well, his wife had these little bamboo plants in her house and she got tired of them. Because they she, they kept growing, so she tossed them over the fence. Cut to two years later, the whole lot is solid bamboo. Like you what? can't even walk in it. Yeah, because it just overtakes mm. everything like a weed. Have they gotten but, a panda to try and take care of that? I know, right? <laughs> so you'd have to go in there with a backhoe and get down, take all the dirt out with it. So the neat thing about bamboo that you don't do like with a lot of woods is that you know you can cut it into sheets. And they make – you've seen the bamboo flooring and stuff where they press it. I have it, it in my house. You know, it's very, very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also – they press it to make veneers. It's pulp to make textile fibers. Um, and then on top of that, I don't know if you guys – there's a, a bunch of guys on YouTube. They pull it into strips and finer and finer strips where they like weave it into like who knows what rope and all kind of other things. I it's have just... watched I have watched quite a bit of that. I will say on the flooring side, um, if you are going cross grain, it is right. unbelievably t- strong. Like you're mm-hmm. not breaking it at all. But strangely enough, if you are going with the grain, right. like if my dogs are running the same direction as the grain of the wood, their mm-hmm. claws will dig in Right. When they really get going, but if they're going across the grain, like side to side, they won't leave a scratch at all. It's very weird. Yeah, I know that they sell mm. bamboo floors in different different types um, of grain structures for like they're harder or not. Mm-hmm. I know they they sell uh, like a zebra. I forget what they call it, but it's like a real. I think they call it a zebra. Now, is it zebra or what's it called? Tiger, tiger stripe or something like that. Bamboo floor that they sell. And it's like really wild looking and the grain structure is going the other way. But yeah. um, they use it from everything from scaffolds to bridge to make um, to make cables and canes, flooring, furniture, making crafts, clothing, yep. construction, building work. So it is. And I mean, it even grows in the States. I mean, bamboo grows in the States and all it's- over the world. It's more than likely um, one of the most versatile plants or things on earth. Mm-hmm. So I, I, um, I just find it very, very interesting. I actually was at a show one time and I talked to a guy that was a bamboo dealer and I said, can you get it in thicker, you know, cause everything was just three quarters of an inch thick. And mm-hmm. I said, Do you, can you get it in like thicker 
I don't, however they manufacture it. I actually watched a how it's made one time on how they make bamboo flooring. It's pretty impressive, but, um, and, and, and he, he acted like you could, you could get it like an inch and a half thick, like boards of bamboo. When, um, I don't know how much that, that would cost. When you say that he is a bamboo dealer, my mind automatically goes to like, you guys, you want to buy some bamboo? <laughs> I know. Come around I was the like, corner. Who's, <laughs> who's got the juice? Yeah. Well, he was, he, he was, he was very douchey. You know, he acted like that was, I should care, but whatever. Uh, Wait, so okay. how wide does do these bamboo shoots get? I mean, I mean I've seen, well, it just depends, but I've seen bamboo pretty wide, you know, maybe 8 to 12 inches wide. But mostly I would think, you know, especially this fast-growing stuff would be maybe 3 inches to 6 inches. Yeah, it's usually that. in that 3 to 6 range. But the, the interesting thing is the walls of bamboo shoots are typically, you know, half an inch maybe a quarter of an inch thick and outside of that it's totally hollow inside right yeah so that's a that, I, neat plant it, it is it is very very impressive to me i i just find it very interesting i would love to to learn how those guys because they just sit there with a knife that's all he's got like a, a machete and he starts yeah. stripping it into little thinner thinner strips and they've got a whole system and all these racks and they start mm-hmm. turning them into strips and then they make rope. And then I saw the one guy and he did it and kept doing it and doing it until it was like thread. And then they made fabric out of it. Yep. Like, it's just unbelievable. Um, so do you have any fun, uh, weird facts for us? So my weird facts, I thought we would do a little something different. Okay. So here's a wood fact to start. Every state in the United States has a state tree. So yeah. I was wondering if you knew what your state tree is. I believe so it's we'll mesquite start- for Texas. Let's see here. So strangely uh, enough, while you're looking that up, there is actually a guy who is on TikTok, uh, and now he's on YouTube as well. But he literally made a an entire map of the United States. Yeah, you know, he was on. He was on another Woodshot podcast. Yeah. He all, he yeah, made, I, I, I just listened to that like yesterday. It was a really good interview. Dude, and that's hard to uh, find all that wood. Yeah, he, he had people send it to him from all over the country. And he made a, uh, a map of the U.S. using each state's natural that's wood. so neat. And he's done one for Canada now. And he's making another U.S. map. Uh, he also did one for the British Isles. But he's doing another one for the U.S. using what he thinks is the the cooler wood because a lot of times they were like, "Oh, our state thing is you know spruce," and he's like, "Oh God, like who wants to use spruce?" So <laughs> right. he's using more fun woods. Um, I would say, well, go ahead and answer, Colton. Well, what is Canada's just all maple? <laughs> you would think. <laughs> <laughs> so you are incorrect. Uh, uh, oh, I would say oh, for shit. Texas, it is hickory. Incorrect. Uh, it is pecan oh. for Texas. And State, for, as of 1919. Yeah. For Illinois, I am going to go with uh, white oak. You are correct. Mm-hmm. You are mm-hmm. correct. White oak And is, for Florida, I'm going to go I ahead. Some sort of scrub pine. No, it's not. It's yep. not even a wood. It's a palm. It's a sable palm. Yeah. That's so lame. I guess that's a tree, right? Yeah. 
So, all right. So, how about we do a couple other states, okay, and and provinces? <laughs> all right, what do you call them? And see if we can, if you guys can guess it. All right. So, I don't, I don't think you'll get this, but I'll give you like a multiple choice. No, I'll give you like a, a fun uh, hint. Okay, how about that. Yeah. So, Hawaii. Ooh, Koa. No. So, well, I don't know unless this is another name for it. I don't think so, though. So your hint is um, – your hint is wax cashew. Wax cashew. Wax cashew. Uh, rubber tree or – I don't know. Butternut. No. <laughs> mm. That's here. Uh, let's see if I can give you another hint. Um, so while you're thinking about that one, what about? Well, hang on. So the answer, I'll just give you the answer. It okay. is the candle nut tree. Candle the nut. Kukui. 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 Oh, okay. Kukui. All right. And then I was gonna say we did Florida. So why don't we do? Something that people normally wouldn't do. Um, Kansas. Ain't nobody doing Kansas. Okay, so Kansas. H-I-J-K. It is. All right, so your. I don't even know how to do a, a, a. Let's say it's not west, but it's east. east. And then it's not uh, polyester wood. It's cottonwood. Yes. It's the eastern cottonwood is Kansas's. There you go. All right. And then let's do one more. that's That's a great bar around here in Houston, cottonwood. I love that place. I hate cottonwoods. We have so many of them in my neighborhood. And the month of June, it literally is just covered in cottonwoods. It's like it's snowing. It clogs up all your air conditioners, um, mm. the condensers. Really? It sucks. We, Dude. my neighbor behind me, has a seventy-foot-tall cottonwood tree, and it just cover. I actually have to wear a mask when I'm cutting the grass for the month of June. Oh my gosh. So well, what? Try, try out some pines, man. I got a bunch of pine needles on my roof right now, and we just cleaned it a few months ago. And uh, yeah, we're like what our neighborhood was like built in like the seventies, I think. I think our house is like seventy three or something. But um, there's some huge, huge pines. Well, All also, right. fun. To, uh, there's a guy. Like, so we know we're a big Christmas lights neighborhood. Yep. Uh, there's one guy. He must be like a lineman or something, but he somehow gets Christmas lights to the very top of this enormous pine tree every year, and um, he's got to have some equipment or something. Yeah. When you said lineman, my first thought was an offensive lineman for like the Houston <laughs> <Yeah>. Texans, <laughs> and I was thinking, how is this big ass man going to be climbing the tree, getting the lights up there every year? <laughs> he just, Other he than just bends it somebody. over. Yeah, yeah he just uh, bends it over to the ground. That's some King Kong stuff right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. What about Ohio? Oh, it's the Buckeye tree. Come that on. That is right. The Ohio Buckeye. I didn't know Buckeyes grew on a tree. And I, then the last one, we talked about this one earlier. But it's a nut, I guess, right? Colton did. Correct. 
is Oregon. Uh, I'm going to go. <laughs> um, I tell you West, what, I think all Western of us have Red worked Cedar. with it. No. No. Spruce? Kirk it's- Fuzz. How about that? Oh, that's your hint. Kirk Fuzz. Uh, Kirk Fuzz. I don't know. What do we got? You got a guess, Colton? Um, I think we've all used it. I think everyone here has used it. Captain Hare. Douglas Fur. Kirk Douglas Fur Fuzz. Oh, Oh. yeah. I was wondering wondering if you're going like Captain Kirk or something. That's what I was thinking, too. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Anyway, yeah, Douglas Fur. So, yeah, that's interesting. So the Virgin Islands do not have a tree. Which we should name one for them. I think that would be fun. And I don't see Puerto Rico in here either. Puerto Rico. Oh no, they do have one, mm-hmm. but it's unofficial, so we can't we can't mention it. Mm. Oh, is it a? Is I've it never a, heard of it. Ciba. Oh, C E I B A. I was wondering if it was you know, a pot plant. No, is that's that Jamaica. <laughs> uh, Jamaica man. Yeah, man, right mm. near the beach. Boy. Mm. All right. Lord of mercy. All right, so that's that. <laughs> Lord of mercy. Along. <laughs> uh, kind of leads yeah. us into, um, you know, the uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, we, we also have questions. All right, so I guess for oh, yeah. future reference, uh, should we do questions before WOWs or like after probably, everything? Yeah, probably yeah, before. Whatever. We'll, Let's we'll do figure it. it out. Well, we got, well, first of all, thank you to everybody for sending in some questions. And if you have any more questions, feel free to shoot it to any of us either through our Instagram, uh, our personal feeds, or beataroundthebench at gmail.com. Go ahead, Colton. Mm-hmm. What do we got? Yeah. Um, we also accept uh, Al Carrier mail as well. Um, mm-hmm. or, um, Carrier pigeons. Yeah, USBS. Yep. Carrier pigeons. Yes. Yeah. Telepathic messages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so first one's from Old Burl. All right, so he says, I have a 25-foot equipment trailer with old 2x12s. Okay. Uh, Belong to my father-in-law as a farm trailer. The boards are still intact and have integrity, yet they are so dry and weathered, very grayish. Mm -hmm. What should I treat the wood with to get a few more tries out of them? Uh, Back in the day, I would have used fryer oil, (laughs) motor oil. Yeah, I would say motor oil, yeah. (laughs) Oh, really? Or, yeah. or linseed oil. Um, yeah. no. He's like, give me your best ideas. So, so the issue so, is is not so much uh, like up by me or even potentially in Florida. Uh, it's actually going to be water resistance that you're more worried about. But I'm mm-hmm. assuming by you, it's the UV issues, right? Yeah, I, I feel like the UV is really going to eat at well because uh, well, Burl is actually up in Dallas, and so it's less I mean, humid than Houston. But, Correct. Um, so it's. I would assume it's it's fairly hot. Yeah, it's gonna and it's gonna be outside. It's not gonna be in a covered area or anything. So, so Jess, uh, feel free to correct me, but my personal suggestion would be uh, doing a light sanding on all of it with like eighty to hundred grit, just to open up the pores a little bit, and then getting some uh, decking, like not Thompson's water seal. That stuff is garbage, but. Uh, some actual like decking sealer and 
putting that on there and doing that every year or two as a UV protectant because that's really what you need. What's Does he that- putting on it? What's he putting on it? Like on and off of it. What's he using uh, the trailer for? Hookers. Hmm. I don't like, know. Is he just I mean, rolling rubber tires, or is he sliding like steel off of it, or? I I think it's just utility. Like uh, I I don't think there's a specific job for it. I, okay. Um, so, the I, Ross, I think is kind of pretty much what I would say, because um, I know that the those. It's probably just pressure treated pine is what it was way back whenever it was new. Um, so what I would say is to get a grinder with a flap disc on it, because if it's a little rough, it ain't going to matter. Right. Mm-hmm. And use that. Uh, maybe even if he's got one of those big grinders, like a seven inch and get you a big flap disc and just go down it and get rid of all that, you know, as much of the, because you don't want it to be all splintery. See, because that's what yeah. happens. Uh, the water gets down on the splinters and the cracks and stuff and fills up. And so do that. And then if he wants to use like – I've used that Lowe's stuff, that Olympic semi-transparent deck stain. He could do a color if he wanted. Or if you really wanted to get wild with it, they – I have seen this done before where – but it would have to be really rough, really dry, and really clean. But he could put some sort of exterior primer on it. After he got it all sanded and cleaned off and then put like a rhino coat or some type of like bedliner stuff and roll it on there. But mm. anything to just keep water from continuing to get down in it and for the sun to keep getting down in it. Um, uh, word to the wise, do not just have your dad Google grinder. Um, <laughs> not going to yeah. be what he's looking for. The, the other thing that um, that he'll have to consider is that if he does grind it, right, because that wood's pretty soft at this point, it's going to take off a lot of wood, which is fine. Um, so he'll have to get pretty good with that. But the bolt heads will start to get kind of pronounced and catch on things. So he might have to retighten mm. the bolts after he's done. Uh, I don't know if it's bolts or it's screws or what it is. I don't know. I've never really paid attention to how they attach them to a trailer, but that would be my best guess. If he wants to make not have to get to the point where he has to replace all of it right now. Cause I think that stuff, I don't even think it's inch and a half. Is it Ross? I think a lot of time on those trailers, it's full rough sawn, right? It, it it's like almost two inches how thick. big of a trailer it is. Um, if it's a smaller trailer, then yes, it's typically a little bit more finished. Uh, if it's a larger, just massive utility trailer, I don't know. Did he say how large it was? Uh, 25 foot. Okay. Equipment yeah, trailer. that's definitely going to be, I mean. They might be really thick. It's yeah. it's well, probably actually, inch and a half thick because it's probably, <laughs> they probably say it was like two by sixes on there, but it's inch and a half actually. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. He said two by twelves, but I don't know. Well, yeah. Yeah, so they're inch and a half by like 11 and a quarter, right? Yeah. And yeah. they stagger, they stagger the joints and they're like 16 footers and. Yeah. But yeah, he could just get something real aggressive to clean off as much of the oxidation and splinters as he can and then seal it with something. You can use exterior primer if you're going to do like some sort of bed liner or like Ross said, use the transparent stain. Um, it's just going to need to be really clean and dry before he does whatever he's going to do he to it. Could so also, he could rent a floor sander from Home Depot. Oh, yeah, a large I was that. Well, now we're gonna, talking. My, my first like suggestion – well, my first suggestion was to get like just yeah. like a ten inch like like a um, handheld belt, belt grinder, belt sander, and yeah, uh, belt sander. Sure, that's what I meant, belt sander. Yeah. And uh, but I didn't even think about the angle grinder. 
Like that might they make a that might they make a flooring quicker. sander for the corners. It's just like a small flooring sander. But, but he could. I, I, I mean, it's for it's for a trailer. It doesn't have to be perfect. He could just rent. Oh, the I don't big, know. I don't know. I'm pretty particular about my trailer. I know, but like you don't have to get exactly into the corners. You can do that with a smaller no. sander. But the majority uh, of it, yeah. he could literally bar like rent the massive floor sander and just go and do it all in in a matter of just like, be be careful about hitting the bolts so he doesn't correct. mess up that sander. Yeah, right. That's Make why sure you rent resist. it. Yeah, that's why you rent. Get the insurance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, like a rented mule. Yeah. Wait, Ross. Uh, so you said uh, that water seal stuff. Um, does that have a poly aspect to it? Is no. it like a no, no. It, it's just uh, oil or like yeah, it's it's an oil base kind of and it's it's supposed to have some sort of sealant on there. Um, that you can get higher and higher grades of it, uh, right. but the Long. the low end that most people know, kind of the same way that most people know, um, like Black and Decker tools, but not everybody wants to have Black and Decker tools. Um, Thompson's water seal is one that a lot of people know, but Jump. literally within a month or two, it is toast. Consumer mm-hmm. Reports did a thing with them one time, and they were like rated one of the worst ones. Yeah, but yeah, that, that Olympic really? stuff that they sell at Home Depot at those is really good. Yep, and it has a six-year warranty. The longer the warranty, the higher the quality. Honestly, is what you'll find. So, and he can get it in colors if he wants, and it has a little bit of like no slip resistance to it yeah so if he's walking on it or whatever i used it on a bunch of outdoor furniture that was just fine and it's still out there so it's good stuff that's good it's cheap it's cheap well so this got me thinking um out of all like the just basic oils that most stuff is comprised of parts of you know like like your your linseed oil your tongue oil all that uh which of those are best for uv like like to put outside the polymers Ooh. that they add to it is what's is what's going to keep the UV from so the stuff that I'm talking well, Ross, about. Is what water-based. would you put on that Epe bench? That's going outside, right? That yeah, one you so, well so yeah. So on that one, I just put teak oil. Uh, but teak I've oil? already seen some weathering. When I went back to that customer's house, I saw the sun is already starting to fade that teak oil because it's sitting directly in the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to lie. the The piece that I built for him that was the deep penetrating epoxy. And then the Halcyon on top, that is by far the best like UV protectant I have ever seen. Halcyon's kind of a different world. Yes. So it's, it's not impressive. just oil, but like the, the teak oil overall, it refreshes itself really, really well. So on mm-hmm. that regard, it's super easy to use. It's pretty hard to mess up. So it's great for a lot of stuff like that. And for a wood like Ipe Antique that soak up oils. Um, it's great for that, uh, but you have to re- reapply it fairly generously every year. Just re- remember, for as far as I understand, anything that has UV resistance, what they're putting in it is something that reflects the UV radiation back, Correct. like sunscreen does, yes. right? Sunscreen's got like titanium dioxide in it or whatever, and that literally reflects the UV radiation so that's anything that's UV resistant. If it says UV resistant, it's not naturally. It's just they're adding something into it, uh, whether it's water-based or oil-based, that yeah. is ref- reflecting the UV back out. Yep. So, all right, what's the next question? Very nice. All right, so next one's coming from David. So another pine project, which uh, we'll talk about the wood 
in a sec. But so he, he's built a handful of furniture like um, in his house, right? Like, um, and he's a big fan of like the um, oh, what's the word? Uh, like weathered pine. Um, yeah, stre- uh, distressed. Yep, that, that's it, right? Yeah, distressed. Like, uh, so he'll beat stuff with chains. Like he'll throw metal things on and kind of hit them. And mm-hmm. yeah, 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 he's a big fan of that. Um, so he, he's building a uh, coffee table, right? And mm-hmm. well, he, he's planning to build it, and uh, he wants to do it out of pine. And I, first off, I was trying to convince him to at least do it out of like maybe red oak or just like like an oak or whatever. Yeah, um, hardwood. Yeah. A, a step up. And, um, but, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see if he actually does that. But, um, so normally he'll, he'll mix a few stains together, get like a real dark stain and then finish it with like a polycrylic. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was like for your coffee table indoors, like, I mean, I, I was suggesting something different. Like, you know, I've never actually used it. So it's weird that I suggest it, but like, I, I, like some sort of Rubio, but I don't know how that does on pine. Rubio does fine on pine. The thing with Rubio versus – I don't know if you can – Rubio, you can buy it with, in a stain color, first of all. Rubio was originally designed for floors, so it's extremely durable. So, I mean, if it was me, uh, Rubio sounds like a great choice <clears throat> over pine. And They have some good the, selection on like, like darker colors. They have colors 54 colors. Did you know that? They have 54 different I colors. I did not know that. Yeah. So uh, he can pick any color he wants. You just get little tiny bottles of it, too. He only needs a little bit. Um, that's a good choice, but it's going to be very flat. And I don't know how that does with, like, a wet glass. Uh, you know, polycrylic gets a white mark on it fr- from a-, a glass, too. So I will s- – Go ahead. Well, I'll, all I will say is this. I made a lot of furniture that was pine and stained and polycrylic. Or a water-based polyurethane, same thing. And I have saw I saw a lot of it years later, and it all looked like crap. All of it. Really? Everything out of pine, warped, especially yellow pine, even even spruce. It it warped, it cracked, it didn't stay flat. It the the finish has gotten all beaten up, and so on and so forth. You know, that's why I, at this point in my career, have switched to just doing things with hardwoods with no stains because if something gets damaged, you want to be able to repair it. That's why some of the older furniture, they used to make it with horse hide glue because you can heat that seam up and pull it back apart and re-glue it after. It needs to be repairable. And so that's why, um, you know, yeah, you can just sand the whole thing down and re-polycrylic it and all, but polycrylic is probably going to be about Aside from epoxy, it's going to be about the most inexpensive and durable thing you can use. So I have a different suggestion than Jess. The polycrylic, yes, it will be cheap. You could put multiple coats. Um, I would suggest something else, especially if he's going for the ultra distress look. Um, First and foremost, use the chains. uh, Well, actually before that. Make sure whatever pine he's using, especially if he's just getting stuff from the big box stores, mm-hmm. make sure it is kiln dried. To Jess's point, the warping that happens in pine and the checking, it gets brutal because there's so mm-hmm. much trap moisture in there. So if it's kiln mm-hmm. dried, that'll take out 80% of that stuff. Number well, you two. You can't get that from a big box store, can you? You like can. A- 
it's yeah. more it's expensive, mostly, but it's you can. Yeah. Most of it's kiln dried. Especially the, if you're doing like if you're using like two by twelves, that's gonna be your yeah. best bet because they kiln dry those because they have to have the strength. And then he can cut everything down from there. So I would start with those rather than just two by fours. Um second thing would be if he wants a distressed look, make sure he's still beating stuff up, use, you know, your screwdrivers and chains and whatever he wants to mar up that finish and then put the darkest finish he can put on there and wipe it off and then come back with the lighter finish that you actually want to accent those, those notches. And then yeah. oh, like, let, let it sink in kind of, I get yes. what you're saying. And yeah. then when you come back, look like a pirate ship. Correct. Yeah. It, it'll, it'll, um, when you wipe off the excess dark stain and then come back a little later with a lighter stain, it makes those, those sunken in parts look that much richer and more accented. The other aspect is if he wants to try something different and the, this is like a high traffic, I'm going to beat the hell out of my coffee table kind of thing. Uh, just because Jess mentioned earlier how expensive Rubio was for a, a quart, um, or a leader, I would actually have him take a look at Blacktail Studios, uh, Cam from Blacktail, who we saw yeah. at WorkbenchCon. He now has a product called Nano 3. And Nano 3 is literally a um, the same way you would get like a, uh, a clay bar type uh, coating or a carbon type coating for your car. Uh, the way that there used to be wax and now it's like a carbon spray. He has one for tabletops and it's like 125 bucks and it goes on and it literally makes it bulletproof. So it wipes it on. It puts this, you could spray the majority of it with the poly, but if you put this stuff on just that tabletop area, it literally right. becomes bulletproof and, and you could put whatever you want, hot, cold, anything on there, drop stuff on it. It's not going to fade. It'll last for quite some time. So have him check that That's out. That's is that. it like a similar premise to Halcyon? Uh, no. no. It's like your stuff you put on your car, like that carbon ceramic stuff. Yeah, ceramic. That, that's right. Yeah, the, yeah, it's supposed to be like the molecular structure is supposed to be. And they're making it for table saws and joiners and stuff too. Yep. Uh, you just put a thin, thin layer on it. You just mm-hmm. basically wipe it on with a little rag like that yep. on top of whatever it is he's got on there. You can't put it on raw wood now. You have no. to put it on top of some type of finish, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's pretty oh. interesting that whole thing they got going on. It looks like it's pretty tough. I'm actually so. going to be trying it. So um, I have wrapped up at at the moment. I have wrapped up all my customer projects, and I have two projects uh, before some some more customer projects are coming because I actually have to quote out some uh, two projects that I'm going to be doing that I'm hoping to use at Nano Three. So I will let you guys know personal feedback in a little bit so 10-4 yeah oh yeah it's an it's an interesting world i i i saw that they were doing it on cars you could get your car ceramic coated yeah and i thought man what if they make that for like table saws so they stay slick and don't rust Mm -hmm. and you can um, actually put this nano 3 on there too yeah and there's another company that makes it just for table saws and stuff it looks pretty interesting yeah for the cast iron it's supposed to yeah last a lot longer yeah that's interesting I need to learn. More I tried about that. the like car wax stuff on my saws. Didn't work. Didn't work. Not the same. No, I've done paste wax on cheese. any of my cast iron tops. Yeah. But as you said, after like a week, it's gone. 
completely. It's gone anyway. Yeah. No. I tried the Cerakote after I got them all clean, um, a ceramic like wax from like turtle wax or whatever, and they just rusted. It didn't do anything. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. And also following up on last week, that, that black cornhole board. When By we the way, it's using- incredible that the pictures you sent over. So, yes. Yeah. My wife was like, wow. Now I'm getting some more footage of that, which that took – it took a five-minute job, maybe seven-minute job, and turned it to uh, – I don't want to say five hours, maybe. What was the final method that. you used to to take everything down? Um, a very mm, nice paintbrush and a shitload of patience. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I just had to put on some good music, man, get in a vibe and take my time. And God, it took some time. But yeah, I tried I tried everything that we talked about and yeah, the bleed through was the hardest part. So Okay. And um yeah, I'd keep a little piece of sandpaper in case I touched the resin and had to scrape it off, which uh I'm still it's still up for debate. I I don't I think it might be because the, the white pigment is why I was absorbing that, which uh, I'm excited. I about to finish a set of boards tonight, and I have the water based uh, general finishes. They're antique oak, nice, which was uh, pretty similar to the early American oil based yeah. uh, varathane finish yeah. or stain that we were using. So we'll we'll see how that goes. I I have a thought in my mind that. Whenever the wood, uh, whenever that plywood on top, that birch plywood mm-hmm. has like resin on, like if you don't sand it like really well, um, and there's some resin on it, you can, it doesn't stain all the way through. Like, so it'll be lighter and it looks bad. Right. And that's one reason why the, I sand every board for two hours. But, um, I'm thinking that with the water, water base not being so penetrating that it won't show it as much. Hmm. And so that's okay. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, uh, speaking of uh, things we talked about last week, I think it's time mm-hmm. to talk about the uh, whoa whiskey of the week. <laughs> whoa. So, whoa, brother. <laughs> yeah. So last week, uh, the whiskey of the week was Frey Ranch, which was a single mm-hmm. state bourbon out of Nevada. First and foremost, were you able to find it? No. So, um, after some research, I don't think they distribute to Texas. Mm. And I, I, I apologize like, on that regard. Oh, no. It, yeah. It's a, I don't know. If I was more prepared, I may have could have ordered it through Total Wine and had it shipped here. Ah. But, um, but no, earlier today, I was calling, <laughs> I called all of my local liquor stores. And I, uh, I even tried calling like some fancy steakhouses. And like like uh, whiskey lounges, yeah. just to see if they if I could get a pour of it, right? Yeah, and no one even knew what it was. Uh, and, but uh, I did look it up online. That bottle is really cool on that Frey Ranch. Yeah, like um, I don't know, it almost looks like a like a bullet casing with like a notch in the side. It it looked really nice. Yeah, but so as a um, in its place, we stayed with the estate uh, bourbon trend. And we got uh, Old Bardstown. Very nice. And Which I think this is a, uh, after tasting it, a um, much lower class of whiskey than <laughs> than Freight Ranch. But uh, what was the proof on this one? 
Oh, 101. Okay. That's not bad. Yeah. Wait. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So what? That's like 50%. Yeah. Proof. Yeah. And a half. yeah. It's 101. Yep. But freaking A, dude. Is it hot? Like, it, it, it's like trying to hurt you, man. When you, when you drink it, it's like, I don't know. It has like this, like, spice. It's like a, like, pokes your tongue, man. Yeah. Um, it's like taking a bite of the sun. Like, I don't know. It's like a angry velociraptor, man. It, it's just, it, it gets after you, dude. But, um, <laughs> like, I, I was planning to try to t- make a take on uh, an old fashioned with it uh, before I tasted it. Mm-hmm. But once I tasted it, it's like, oh, we got to, this needs something stronger. So we, I ended up doing the uh, the Concord Dandy again. And did it Dandy? No, oh, Dandy's great. Excellent. Yeah. Well, like, um, you know, with that strong ginger, man, you can cover up. Uh, well, like you, you want to have an abrasive whiskey with yeah. the uh, the dandy. Okay. And um, to yeah, peek peek its little head through the the the, the, the ginger. Okay. But, but yeah, so no, it, it was definitely interesting. But damn, is it hot? <laughs> so. Well, uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of relief then and make it a little easier for you because the whiskey <laughs> of the week for this week is the Belvini. 14-year-old Caribbean rum cask. So this ah. is a, a single malt scotch from the Speyside region of Scotland uh, that has been finished in uh, – it is a 14-year-old single malt that has been finished in Caribbean rum casks. Uh, so it's got a soft, sweet tone. Um, it should mix in cocktails really well. It it might dandy. It might not stand up to the ginger as much. Yeah. But um, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to get put- your thoughts. I'm not going to put a 14 year old whiskey in a dandy. Um, maybe we could find like a cool cocktail, like especially with it being the Caribbean cask, maybe like, um, I don't know. Would fruity go with a scotch? I mean, I've done some fantastic ones. Really? Yeah. So, um, take a look at some stuff with some pineapple. I know it sounds strange, but you're going to get pineapple. So, uh, one that I do is a Scottish sunrise. Um, so it is an ounce and a half of, um, of the whiskey, two and a half ounces of pineapple juice and a splash of cranberry. And, um, I know that seems like blasphemy because it is a 14 year old single malt, but, uh, it's pretty darn delicious and it's a great way to get your weekend going. Dude, I'll give it a shot. Excellent. I'd be glad to. Excellent. Um, what was it? All right. <laughs> so, so do you boys, uh, and Jess, oh. you've dropped a couple nuggets already, but do you have a closing nugget? Do I have one? Oh, dude, um, your nugget earlier kicked it, man. That was it. Um, yeah, I always finish on the upturn. Um, so, well, I mean, unless whatever your is is mounted on the top, then it would be finished on the downturn, whatever. Like, like your drum sander is mounted on the top, right? Yeah. So I don't know. It depends. If it's hanging from something, then you'd finish. But anyway, you want the, the threads to be seated. Yeah. That's the whole point. You want your threads to be seated. Uh, do I have any other uh, nuggets? I don't know. Come back to me and I'll think for a second. How about you, Paul? So, I got one. So anytime you're mixing resin, like, um, you know, you use a stir stick, right? I. I save those stir sticks and they make 
like once it has like the resin on the end of it, you know, like uh, usually it's like a cut off of a piece of wood for me. Okay. Right? Like, um, you know, like sometimes I'll even put like a eighth inch round over on it if it's a bigger stick. Right. Just to, so it feels better in my hand when I'm stirring. Yeah. And, but um, I always save those stir sticks because um, it makes for a good, like uh, when you're stirring your stain. Right. Cause I feel like whenever I was using just like a piece of plywood, like a piece of random, like a strip of plywood to stir my stain, like all the, uh, the pigment, whatever in the stain, the bottom would soak into that, uh, mm-hmm. that stick. And for one, it, if it soaks up enough, it's going to throw off your, your, your color. Yeah. But, um, also I feel like, uh, yeah, it affects a lot of stuff. So whenever you have that resin on that stir stick, it doesn't absorb it. And, um, yeah, it's like stirring with a plastic stick. So Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Repurposing resin stir sticks. No, as, don't uh, waste. Other sticks, yeah. Uh, my nugget would actually be planning ahead if you have to go out on the job site. Um, mm. As I said, I I had to do a lot of things today that I didn't expect I would be doing, but I had all the necessary tools. There are tools that could have made it go faster, but I was able to do the job um, without having to leave to go pick up something else. Um, so always kind of plan ahead, kind of have a, a go bag, and then kind of prep for the worst case scenario. Right, am I going to have to cut anything? Am I going to have to do like just prep ahead, and it's going to save you a ton of time in the back end. So and then yeah, still still expect for the. <laughs> For things to go wrong, yeah. The only tool you didn't yeah. bring is what you're going to need. So. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, my nugget would be if you're starting up a shop or you have had a shop for a while, one thing or a few, a handful of different things that you should always have on hand are T-Track, the aluminum T-Track, mm-hmm. okay, um, a three-quarter inch router bit to put the T-Track in whatever it is you want to put it in, right? Or you could do it in dado on a, on a, on a table saw, but some threaded knobs and the five quarter, the five sixteenths, you know, T-Trek bolt things that they make. And they sell them in sets on uh, like Amazon and places like that. And some acrylic sheets, because you can buy them for like crafting, but you can buy like three eighths thick acrylic sheets. And you can use those acrylic sheets to make, all kind of jigs, bases for routers, um, a million different things. And you can see through them, of course. They're easy to drill. You can make big, giant bases for your router, or you can make an offset base for your router and then, like, put a little knob on one end. You can do little routers, big routers. It doesn't matter. And all you got to do is take the old plate off the other router and mark out the holes where you're going to drill. You know what I mean? It's super Mm. easy to to deal with. And then as far as the T-Track is concerned – you can just take a piece of plywood and like double it up and put you some slots for that T-track and like make you a little board that's just got T-track. And I don't know if anybody's seen my domino jig. And with some threaded knobs and some little blocks of plywood with a hole in them, you can make any kind of jig you want in just minutes if you've already got the T-tracks in them. And you can you make hold downs and stops and all kinds of different things to hold wood in all kinds of different positions or angles if you're going to make one. You can get a put cut you a little piece of wood to run it through the miter slot uh, on your table saw and make it with the T-track. There's just so many different things that you can use them for. And for 50 bucks, 60 bucks, 
you can get a whole set of all that stuff, uh, maybe a hundred and really make anything that you're doing repeatable a lot easier. So that's my little nugget. Nice. It's a good one. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Uh, so in all honesty, I think that's a good point for us to, uh, kind of wrap things up any anything else you want to add in there uh bubs mr bubs can you give us a goodbye squeak oh now you're quiet you're squeezing him too hard his eyeballs (laughs) are popping out (laughs) (laughs) of course the one time he's not squeaking okay all right so i think that's a good point to wrap things up so thank you very much for tuning in this week we hope you enjoyed every second of this episode if you didn't, please send all your complaints to our German legal representation. I, das ist nicht mein Problem and Associates. For Jess, <laughs> Colton, and Ross, this has been the Beat Around the Bench podcast. We will catch you guys next time. See